Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. There's a commonality among high-quality learning programs, regardless of the medium, type of learning, or audience. Whether it be workplace training, online learning, school curriculum, or children's educational television, to have an effective and enjoyable learning experience, it is critical to develop it on a strong foundation of quality education research and beautiful design. In this episode, we will discuss the interplay of research and design in creating quality learning programs. Sesame Street, the children's television program developed by the media and education nonprofit Sesame Workshop, is a shiny example of the power of quality research and design in educational programs. For over 50 years, Sesame Street has brought critical early childhood education to over 150 countries helping to prepare children for their first year of school, as well as addressing critical social issues such as HIV, homelessness, death, and autism, just name a few. Most viewers of the show possibly aren't aware that every aspect of Sesame Street is backed and supported by years of research, driven by a long-standing partnership with the Harvard Graduate School of Education. To discuss how research and design work together to create such a wonderful and successful educational program, I'm joined by leaders from each of those domains in Sesame Workshop. Shauna Cohen is the Senior Education Manager of Humanitarian Programs at Sesame Workshop. She leads the educational content development for Alan Simsim, a localized version of Sesame Street in the Middle East and manages the design of multimedia teaching and learning materials for Sesame Workshop humanitarian programs. Dr. Kim Foulds is the Senior Director of International Research and Evaluation. She oversees the research and evaluation on Sesame Workshop's international co-productions and community engagement interventions across the globe, focused on a variety of curriculum areas and media. Thank you very much, Shauna and Kim, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So to start off, can you first please tell me a little bit about each of your roles at Sesame and the work that you do? Sure, I can start. I'm Shauna Cohn. I'm Senior Education Manager of Humanitarian Programs at Sesame. And my role is really to set the curriculum for our programs and then ensure that that curriculum is being implemented, whether it's through our video programming or through direct services and print materials. And I'm Kim Foltz. I'm Senior Director of International Research and Evaluation at Sesame Workshop. I oversee all content education research on Sesame's international projects. So that includes research from the beginning of any sort of work that we do, conducting needs assessments, running formative research to test content as it's being created, and then running any sort of performance or impact evaluations to help us understand the impact of our work, and then to use that evidence to inform future projects. Wonderful. Thank you. And we're going to be digging into each of your different ways that you work together and the different ways you create this amazing educational programming. Sesame Street has been providing really effective and enjoyable children's educational programming for over 50 years. Actually, last year was the 50th anniversary. 
it is just as relevant today as it was when it first came out 50 years ago, which is absolutely incredible. And children and adults alike really enjoy this show. So can you give a little bit of insight on what makes this such a successful educational program? Because it both has really important educational outcomes, but also extremely enjoyable for people to watch. So what's the secret? I think it really comes down to the philosophy of our founder, John Gans Cooney. And we like to talk about how when in the early days of Sesame Street, when she was creating the program, she actually got inspiration from advertisements. So she saw ads on TV and the jingles that they played to help you remember to buy a certain type of toilet paper or whatever it was. And she saw kids singing those jingles and remembering them. And she thought, what if we could use this medium to teach for, for good, if we could use it to teach ABCs and one, two, threes and skills that children really need. Mm-hmm. So that was her, I think what she used to say was, if you can't reach them, you can't teach them. So her whole philosophy was around engagement first as a way to make sure that children learn. And that's something that really, it's aged well. It hasn't, it hasn't become irrelevant and has really guides our approach wherever we work. And part of that vision since the beginning has been testing our content through formative research with the children mm-hmm. that we want to target to really center them to make sure that we bring their voice into content development. And that's always been part of the process domestically. And that's a process that we've adapted for our international work, both co-productions, content created for television broadcast, as well as content created for more local uh, community engagement initiative. And we really want to ensure that the content is representative of the communities that it is supposed to be supporting. Um, And so that has always been part of our process and it's part of our our model to ensure that content is always tested with the communities it's intended to serve. It's really this model, This we show this Venn diagram sometimes of research, production, and education, and all three working together that creates this sort of Sesame approach. As you said, that it's receptive to the context and children enjoy it, but also has the learning outcomes that's intended, which is right. really amazing. And the two sides are working together constantly, which is what both of you represent, the two sides that work together. So this high quality learning programs incorporate the research and the design from the very beginning. Can you tell me what that process looks like? So this is, of course, a very big part of Sesame and what makes it such a successful educational program. But it is such an important part of any educational program, really, to have the research and the design come together. So can you tell me about what this looks like for you and how the design and the research combines? Yeah, it's really an iterative process. We have what we call the Sesame Workshop model, and it always starts with a needs assessment and what that looks like varies depending on the size and scope of the project. But ideally, it's going into the communities that we are working with as part of the project to better understand what their priorities are, where the the needs are, what they're worried about, and as well as understanding some of the cultural norms around song, dance, play, storytelling, because we want to make sure that we're not making any assumptions about the communities that we're working with. And so that really forms the foundation for any of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. around the world. And that then forms a curriculum framework. And from that comes prototype content that we then test, as I mentioned, with families to inform what becomes the final version of that. So from formative research, we watch children engage with our content. Um, We interview them to better understand what they learned from it, as well as to further understand what they found interesting, what characters they liked, what characters they didn't like. We also interview parents to better understand 
is this the kind of stuff that they want their children to be watching? Because that's always really important. Then we provide recommendations to the production education teams. And then the final sort of bucket of research that we do is, as I mentioned, impact research to better understand the impact. So that will tell us, was this content effective in teaching children? But then it also will tell us where it wasn't effective. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the, the, both of those pieces are just as important to continuing to refine the work again. And so then we start over and we start again with the needs assessment and we continue this process throughout the history of a project. And I mean, the needs assessment in this case, you're talking about understanding the culture and understanding the context, because the work that both of you do is for the Sesame productions in overseas markets in, right. in context. However, that's actually a really important point in any context, even when you think you're very familiar with the children in your own context, in your own neighborhood, understanding also what the needs are of that group or that child or that, or that age group is just as important, even when the culture seems to be very close to home. Right, absolutely. Research really helps us check any assumptions. Mm -hmm. We have, when we do formative we have a hunch of what may pop. We said, you know, what will stick for kids? What, what sort of elements and learnings from the show will stick and what won't based on assumptions we make because of our familiarity with the community. But research really always helps us check our assumptions or correct them. And so that's why it's always, always important, no matter how long we've been working in certain communities, that we are faithful to that model of making sure that we're testing and continuously iterating on our content. Has there been something that in your experience has popped out as a surprise where you think that this was a certainty or an assumption you didn't realize was an assumption and that popped out of the research? What's interesting is from our work um, in the Middle East as well as other humanitarian settings and our work globally, what makes engaging effective children's television content, the foundation of that is the same if it's a displaced Syrian child living in Jordan or if it's a child living in New York City. Content that is dynamic, visually appealing, relevant, is always going to be something that kids really respond to. Mm -hmm. Something that has been interesting in communities where, for whatever reason, they've been marginalized, speaking largely to our humanitarian work, where they've been marginalized from media. So thinking about our work with displaced Rohingya refugees living in Costas Bazaar, when we do formative testing, we always ask parents, you know, thinking about all of the, the content you watch today with your child, if we continue to make new television for your community, would it look like what you saw today or would it look like something different? And a lot of times families will just say, oh, I really like this because of X. But, you know, I, I love Masha and the Bear, which is a very popular television show. And they'll tell us why. Or I love Tom and Jerry because it's very funny or whatever reason. Tom and Jerry is the most popular children's show around the world. But working in communities who have not had that same access, it's been really surprising. Parents don't sort of have that foundation of knowledge for which to give us recommendations for what kind of television content they like and would want their children to watch. We know that television is such a popular medium and so important and a great way to teach children. But it's always an important way to check our assumptions on what base knowledge families are bringing into any sort of media testing. Mm, interesting. I can add one more example to that that is actually less in the research process and more in another phase of our process, which is the educational content seminar. So after Kim does her initial needs assessment research, we convene with local experts and practitioners to check any assumptions that might come out of the research um, findings. So we're kind of checking our assumptions along the way. 
So this is sort of one of the cultural contextualization phases. And there's just a wealth of, I think, endless things to learn about a culture that is not your own. So in our work in the Middle East, which I can speak more about, our initial assumption was that children needed a, and, and parents wanted a curriculum around resilience, that they were dealing with trauma and they needed support for how to speak to their children about feelings and how to, to build a resilient society. And so we went in with an assumption of what that looks like based on a U.S. perception of resilience. So we had a really broad social emotional curriculum that covered all sorts of topics like conflict resolution and social skills and all of these different ways to go with social emotional learning. And when we presented it to this team of local experts, they really encouraged us to narrow our focus and to start with foundational skills around emotion identification. Mm -hmm. Because culturally, there wasn't the same emphasis around emotion terminology and around defining your feelings mm -hmm. that we sort of take for granted, I think, in the U.S. And that's, of course, a hugely foundational skill to all of those other social emotional skills. So that was an example where we had to pause, take a step back and completely rethink our assumptions, even when those assumptions were based on research. That's interesting. That's a good example. Yeah. And so how then did two of you in your two departments interweave? through that process? What does that look like? Yeah, so that's actually a good segue, I think, into that case study, because after that conversation with local experts, I and we as the team went back to Kim and said, hey, we went in with this uh, idea based on the needs assessment, and we've now corrected it because it wasn't culturally aligned. Can you help us with another round of research to make sure that we're on the right track? Mm -hmm. And Kim, maybe you can talk about that, that process. Yes. So formative, I've always talked about, we take prototype content, existing Sesame content and test it with children. Here we adapted our approach a little bit because we didn't have content yet, right? Because we're still in the very early stages of the program. So we took two popular Arabic language children's books that sort of represented an, a spectrum of emotions. One was Tortoise in the Hare, which I think is a, is a very well-known children's story. And the other was First Day of School about a girl's very nervous about leaving her mother and going to school for the first day. And so our research team sat down with, with children and their parents and read these storybooks and stopped at key point to ask children, you know, what do you think this character is feeling right now? Why do you think they're feeling that, that sort of thing? And that gave us the language that children currently use to describe fear or um, nervousness or joy. And so we were able then to provide that language to Shauna and the production team to support script development so that they could really start the show and script development from where children already are. And I think that that is always a really important place, right? Particularly, these are really tough concepts to teach emotional vocabulary because we also were learning through that process, through the storybook testing. Parents also didn't know the word frustration. That wasn't a word that they were familiar with. So their children are going to also know it as well. So that was, I think, a useful sort of stepping stone to, to provide Sean and team with the information that they needed to go to the next step to, to start writing the scripts. And it also, it validated what we heard in that curriculum seminar, because we wouldn't want to base the, direc the direction we were going completely on a group of 22 people, even if those people are experts. So I think research plays an important role there as well. So you researched further from the advice that you were given from the local context, you did research further. And so in the circular process that you named the Sesame process, you started with the needs assessment, which you just discussed. You went to the educational content seminar, and that was what you now talked about, about checking in with the local context and local experts. 
And then you set the educational objectives of what is needed, which in this case was the social emotional learning. That's what the objectives were. And so then you proceed to the formative research and production. So what did the formative research and production look like? So the first, so once we, they were able to sort of get development of content in place, we were able to test what we call an animatic, which essentially is an animated set of storyboards. And it's the first version of an episode to really get a sense if it helps us, we, we show this to children and their families, are we going in the right direction? Mm-hmm. This is nowhere near what the final product will look like, but this is really a first stop to help us know is the approach to teaching emotional vocabulary and regulation strategies, the right approach. And so we tested a story matter called Movie Night where one of the characters, well, all of the characters wanna watch a movie. One of the characters is afraid of the dark and they keep wanting to turn the light out to watch the movie. And so watching her go through that help and watching her friends try to figure out what's going on with her and then them all identifying a management strategy. We wanted to understand what from that episode children understood mm-hmm. in terms of naming the emotion fear Mm-hmm. And then uh, the management strategies shown in the episode, which I believe was belly breathing and asking an adult. And so we also wanted to test another assumption. Was this episode going to teach children to be afraid of the dark? That was another concern. I know that that Sean and team raised as well. And so we wanted to explore that through formative. And what we found informative is that this was a very relatable fear for young children, regardless of circumstances they were affected by displacement or if they were a member of the Jordanian or Lebanese host community. Children being afraid of the dark is a very relevant, relatable concept regardless of of where a child comes from. And that the approach was very clear, that children were able to name the emotion and at least identify one of the strategies Mm -hmm. after watching the animatic. And so from that, we were able to give education and production that yes, this format for this episode or for these batch of episodes is working. There's a few tweaks you can make to support further comprehension. And so from that, then sort of the next step was continuing to develop scripts and content for another round of testing. And that's what Shana's group then went back to doing the new scripts and new types of visual and storyline on how to implement. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I think of my role as sort of like a translator between Kim's world and the production world. So a lot of what I do is translating her research results into ideas for the production team or suggestions for that they find very actionable. Although Kim does a great job providing recommendations from her research as well. So it's really a back and forth between the two. That sounds really good. And then you rotate in this needs assessment, education content set the education objectives, and then the formative research and production. Following several rounds of that, you move on to the distribution and the summative evaluation. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means and how it plays into the process? So we take on on um, our work in the Middle East, we are evaluating the television show through a few different ways. We do what we call end of season roundup. I don't know where the term roundup came from, but that's what, that's what we call it. It's essentially a performance evaluation where we give families at least half of a season's worth of episodes. So at least 13 episodes to watch over a four week period of time. They're encouraged to watch as often as they like. And they complete a series of viewing diaries where parents report changes in any behavior that they see in their children, as well as 
again, relevance and engagement and appeal of the content. And that helps us get some sort of immediate feedback from parents about what they're experiencing when they watch the show with their children, as well as what they perceive their children to experience. That again is used to refine them the following season. So again, the, it really is a circle that never stops moving. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it where we're conducting a more rigorous evaluation is through our partner, um, New York University's Global Ties for Children where we will conduct a randomized control trial through kindergarten schools in Jordan. Mm -hmm. And for 12 weeks, children in their kindergarten classroom will watch an episode of Ahlan Simpson and versus a control group who will just have the existing government curriculum as is. And at the end of that, we'll compare results via an inline survey on children's emotion vocabulary management strategies and the spectrum of other socio-emotional skills. And that will give us what we'll, what we'll call causal language to show that, hopefully to show um, that this show is causing children to have increased ability to manage emotions, name them, as well as perceive them in others through a whole host of other testing strategies. So then that summative evaluation informs, is it effective and right. is it not? Depending on your findings, do you go back to a different design? How do the findings affect both of your processes? We provide then a series of recommendations and some of them are much more actionable than others. Regardless mm-hmm. of how rigorous the summative evaluation is, we always provide recommendations because this research has to mean something moving forward, right? It can't just be research for research's sake. And I think we, yeah. that we've shown that's very clear that all of our research really is, is in service of the content. And so we provide recommendations to education and production, and then they digest them as is possible and in line with the thinking of of the future seasons. Yeah, so I can give an example. This is actually a different study, but that informed Ahlan. So something that came before Ahlan Simpson, the the program we've been talking about. We did a three country study, which I think we could kind of call a summative, Kim. Yeah. um, Where we looked at the effectiveness of three of our major programs. I think it was South Africa, India, and Bangladesh. And we looked at what features worked and what features didn't work in sort of the full scope of the show. What came out strongly from that research was the recommendation that we focus on fewer characters, that the more connected kids feel to a fewer, uh, smaller set of characters, the more they're able to retain. Hmm. And that rather than have sort of a magazine format, which is the traditional Sesame Street style that you might remember from the early days, that we have a more narrative through line, a short narrative format, so that uh, children can follow those same characters throughout the show. And so Ahlan Simpson, unlike our other international productions, was created based on that information as a narrative, a 12-minute narrative format that follows three main characters, two Hmm. kind of hero characters and their sidekick, who's a a small goat. And that's played a huge role in the whole kind of creative setting of the scene for for the program. So what you've been speaking a lot about is designing with the user in mind, or in other ways of calling it, it's called participatory approach, which is definitely a best practice in this type of work. And and you've already spoken a lot about it. Sesame has actually been the pioneer in developing this method, this design method. So can you tell me more about this and how you use designing with the user in your work more specifically? I mean, you've given examples of it already, but what is the role of participatory approach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's central to everything that we do. As as we've talked about, it really brings the voice 
of children into the content we create and makes that sure that we're centering children rather than centering what we assume their needs are, right? We're actually centering their voices in the mm-hmm. process. I gave the example of the animatic, the storymatic, the animated storyboards that we tested for Ahlon. That's always part of the process. And it's really early on. And there are so many reasons for that. As I mentioned, bringing the voice of the child into the process to give an early indication if the show is going in the right way. And it also really does save time and money through the process so that we're not creating this beautiful show that kids don't enjoy watching and they don't learn from. And so it really makes sure that we're sort of always checking for that throughout the process. And so we do early on those animated storyboards, then they become what we call rough cuts, which is I, I, I don't know how to describe it in a way that production wouldn't be upset with me, but it's somewhere between the animated storyboard and whatever the final version is. So we again tested. And so for offline, we tested three rough cuts, which is a rough cut of an episode. Again, it's not completely done yet. It's still very much in draft form, but it does largely look like it has lar- a lot of the elements of a final episode. So we tested that with children and families across Jordan, Lebanon, and Iraq both displaced in Jordan and Lebanon, internally displaced in Iraq, as well as host community. Because even though the show is targeting children affected by conflict, Syrian families displaced, it's for all children in the region. So we wanted to make sure that all children find it appealing and relevant. And so we tested those rough cuts and then again, sent those recommendations for any revisions to education and production. There are only certain, at that point, rough cuts, you can't really rewrite a new format, but we don't expect those sort of major, major red flags to emerge. It's what are some final tweaks to really make the content as strong as it can be to make it as appealing, as engaging, as relevant, and as educational so that we really, again, children are learning the lessons that we want them to learn. And I mean, you've included them far before the rough cuts through all the different right, exactly. parts of it, as you've described before. So, okay, from that, from the research perspective, and so from Shana, the design perspective, how how is the user at the center? Ken summed it up really well. And I think the only thing I'd add is that because our audience or the user is children, it's really fun. <laughs> to to engage in that approach and often they have better ideas than anyone even on our professional creative team do <laughs> so I think that's another piece of it that sometimes they have the most most creative or exciting ideas that wouldn't even occur to the adult and I mind. think to add to that I do think people sometimes they hear that we test the show with four-year-olds and they think well what is a four-year-old going to tell you four-year-olds will tell you what they like what they don't like what they want and when they want it they have so many very clear set of, of feedback that it's such a wonderful experience to hear it directly through the process. If they don't like something, you will know it immediately. And so it's always really helpful yes. to, to get that feedback from them. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, they're the ones who need to understand it, right. like it and learn from it. And so that approach was was really pioneered by Sesame. How did that begin? What is the history of that? Yeah, I think this is where that partnership with academia comes in. I think because... Harvard Graduate School of Education and other academic institutions were involved so early in our process. And that, again, goes back to our founder really prioritizing the academic and research along with the creative. Mm. They, I think, helped to emphasize the importance of, of that approach. I think it also, because it was so new as an idea, I think it probably also came from Joan herself, that importance of, mm. of keeping children at the center. Do you know, Kim? I think you've summed it up beautifully. 
And I think that's such a beautiful example of exactly, and I think Sesame is a really amazing example of the marrying of the research and the practice. And because as you said, in research, that is very much a part of research and not necessarily always in practice and so many things, vice versa. So that's a really nice example of it. So learning technologies, and especially for children, are a huge business. And in the last several years, especially, it's been growing exponentially. What is your advice for someone who wants to create something that is educational and attractive and a successful product for children? What is some of the advice that you would give in the creation of that? I think this will come as no surprise after this conversation, but my main piece is just not to forget your audience and to include them as much as possible in the creation. Mm -hmm. And I think the engagement piece is also really important that don't get too mired in the outcomes without at the loss of that creative piece or that engagement piece. Yeah, I, I would definitely echo both of those points. I think what we've learned is that regardless of the platform that content is being created for, the foundations of what make appealing, effective content don't change. So whether or not you're creating content for a television audience or delivery through some sort of app or another digital platform, the basics are always the same. Active, dynamic, visual, the power of repetition, the importance of dose for young children. These elements should remain the same regardless of the platform. Absolutely. And I think so often, especially in ed tech, it's easy to forget that the way people learn stays very much the same. The principles of how we learn stays very much the same, regardless of the medium. So we need to look at what are those fundamental things that we know about the way we learn and adapt that to to the mediums. Wonderful. And of course, the biggest advice is to do exactly what you're doing, bring design and research together and work together on that. So before we end, I'd like to ask you for a recommendation, either a book or an article or something that you think you find inspiring and informative in this field. My recommendation, it's a little bit, a little dated at this point, but it's a documentary called The World According to Sesame Street from the 90s. That does a really nice job outlining what our processes in international work. And I actually saw it, I actually saw it in high school long before I had this job and found it really inspiring, kind of went to the back of my latent memory and then realized years later that I was really inspired by that. And that probably in part led me to where I am. Oh, that's great. I think mine of recent is the work of Brene Brown. And I know it may not seem the connection may not seem obvious here. Um, Certainly her book, Dare to Lead. And then more recently, I've started listening to her podcast, which I think she just started doing at the start of COVID, Unlocking Us. She recently had a great interview with Dolly Parton. This week, I think she's interviewing Barack Obama. And I think the link there, I mean, a lot of it is her references and recommendations around management. But I think because her work is, she calls herself a shame researcher. There's actually so much that is is relevant to, to the research and the work that we do in terms of how you engage with others and the assumptions that you make about how others might respond or how they might perceive different situations and always starting from a place of kindness. And I think that that, of course, is, is always really where Sesame wants to start from, starting from a place of kindness so that we can really understand what it is that you, your community need and how we can create content to support that. So I would really recommend, I I think that she's wonderful. Also, I just, she's from Houston. I'm from Houston. I feel like there's this hometown love. She just feels so familiar to me. 
Um, so I would, I would certainly recommend her. That's great. Thank you so much. Both of those are fantastic. And thank you very much to both of you for giving a really important insight into how research and practice needs to work together in creating an amazing educational product and also giving a behind the scenes glimpse of Sesame because so often when I tell people that there's so much educational research behind what Sesame produces, people don't realize that because it just looks like such fun, wonderful programming, but it's all very strongly based in strong educational research and it's important to understand that. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and insights with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you for this space. This has been wonderful. Thanks.